Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It is really great to have you here. On today's episode, my friend, library cataloger, and fellow music nerd Mark Neese drops by the Shedio to share his favorite books of 2023. Mark's experience at the library and his fascination with music, culture, and history shine through in his eclectic list. Let's get into it. It's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really wonderful to have you here. Uh, got a really great episode for you today. My friend Mark Neese is here. He came into the studio, uh, WTF style. He came on over on a snowy Sunday, and we chatted about his favorite books of 2023, along with some records and some movies that he loved during the year, as well as a really great chat with a really, really great person and a guy who's quickly becoming a friend. And uh, I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. Before we get into that, I have many, many pieces of housekeeping that I will try to get through very, very quickly. The first and perhaps most monumental important is that since the last time we saw each other on the podcast, um, we've reached a rather important milestone here at WAIM. We have hit 500 free subscribers. Um, this is a huge deal for me. Um, we are about to celebrate the one-year anniversary of this space, and to be able to get to 500 subscribers inside of a year feels like a real accomplishment, especially considering that I was essentially starting from scratch. I did have a uh, sort of a core group of folks who knew about my music and some of the other stuff that I'd done culturally, but I hadn't really committed myself to writing like this before, and um even though I'd done some podcasting previously, it had been somewhat intermittent and short-lived. And so to be able to do this for a full year and garner this kind of support has been really wonderful. So I want to I start by saying thank you so very much for, for all of you and the way that you have supported me in terms of your financial support and the way that you've shared my work and the way that you've reached out and offered personal notes of encouragement. Um, some of you don't know, but those have reached me at times where um, I wondered whether or not this was something that I should continue doing and devoting time to, especially this kind of time. And so to hit 500 subscribers feels like a real accomplishment. And it feels like um, it feels it feels like a, a bit of a, a validation for the work that I'm doing here. And I don't I'm trying really hard not to get that validation from outside, um, but it's hard to create it all yourself. And so 500 subscribers is a hell of an accomplishment. And I want to take a minute to acknowledge that and to, to be excited about it and to be proud of it, but also to say thank you. I also want to make sure you guys are listening to WAIM radio every Friday on Rockin' the Suburbs Radio over there at suburbsradio.com. This most recent uh, episode is uh, What the Hell is Power Pop? And the way that you can find out about these is every week, in addition to the show going live at suburbsradio.com at noon Eastern every Friday on Tuesday... 
after the show airs, you'll get an archived episode. And every Thursday before the new show airs, you'll get a question asking you, hey, what's your favorite tune based on this theme? So make sure you're paying attention. You're getting involved. You're submitting your favorite songs on the theme for each week. The more that we talk about this, the more that we can grow our listenership. Uh, Make sure you are also paying attention to our regular series on uh, the 13 Films to Get to Know Me. I've got a couple of these coming up from some guest contributors that I'm very excited about. If you would like to get your list in and to have uh, a little bit of help formulating that and putting it together, I'd love to help you do that. It's been a really fun exercise, and I'm really enjoying this idea of sharing other people's lists that aren't just me or people in my family movie club. So reach out, send us an email at whatamimakingblog at gmail.com or uh, drop us a uh, voicemail at speakpipe.com slash whatamimaking, and I would uh, I would love to help you put your list together. Um also want to make sure that you saw a couple of pieces that I released this week. Uh, one is called The Death of Music Journalism, which I published on Sunday, January 21st. That is uh, sort of my response to the announcement that the famed internet online I don't know how you would be online and not internet, but whatever. Uh, anyway, the uh, the online site Pitchfork uh, announced that it would be folded into the gentleman's magazine GQ and that it would be closing its own masthead here in the near future. And, um, that, that is a bummer for music coverage and music journalism. And I think there's some good and bad news. So I wrote a pretty lengthy piece about that where I kind of talk about sort of, um, the current state of music journalism, where I think it's flourishing, why I think it's struggling on a national scale and uh, what that sort of means for our culture at large. Um, if you'd go over and check that out on the blog at whatamimaking.substack.com, I sure would appreciate that. Uh, also want to make sure that you saw the piece that I wrote called Et Tu, Pearl Jam. And uh, this is a piece about some sort of shady business practices that I got wind of with Pearl Jam and the way that they work with artists to design one-off posters for their show. And this is an anecdotal experience that's from another writer named David Ferrier. And it's a pretty harrowing story of a New Zealand artist who was reached out, uh, who, who, who was contacted by Pearl Jam, and then was subsequently told, hey, you can do this work for free, and then we'll give you some posters to sell. Uh, the story's a little more complicated than that. But in essence, Pearl Jam's trying to get somebody to do work for free. And a band like Pearl Jam shouldn't be putting an artist in that position. Um, I'd really appreciate it if you go over there and check it out. Uh, I am recording this intro before I leave, but by the time you hear this, I'm actually going to be in Central America. Uh, My mom and I are headed um, to sort of wash off the disappointment of our November should have been trip to Asia. We were supposed to be gone for 19 days. And as many of you know, and I've written about extensively here on the blog, we were thwarted by visa issues and airline policies. And in the end, missed our entire vacation and lost out on about five grand. Um, Not to be uh, daunted and uh, left home unwilling and unable to travel. Maddie C. and Ama are back on the road. We are going to Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala for roughly two weeks. And I'm going to be sending you some updates and some salvos along the way while we're in country. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work, but I'm hoping to have regular uh, or semi-regular updates for you so that uh, so that I can tell you about what's happening 
on our trip to Central America. Don't forget that this June, I will be hitting the road. The Shedio hits the road. I still need some hosts. I'm specifically looking for some folks in the South. So Georgia, South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, where are you? I need your help. Tennessee, come on. Hook me up. I've got some shows. You can go over to phonoforrecords.com slash Matthew Carlson to check out all of the available dates and the spots where I am looking for hosts. Uh, don't forget that the way that you can support that tour is by heading over to phonoforrecords.com slash postcard program. And you can sign up for the postcard program where I will send you one or maybe more postcards from my trip this summer directly to your house. That's right. I'll pick out a postcard. I'll write you a little handwritten note and I'll send it to your house. And in return, you send me a few bucks to help me get down the road. It's a really fun project. I'm really excited about it. We've already had a bunch of people jump on board. I would love it if you would join us. Uh, The last thing I want to mention in this rather lengthy intro is I want to make sure that you know that uh, our best band of the 1990s Bracket Challenge is ongoing. There will be new matchups every Saturday as we break down the best band of the 90s, Tourney Style. Who will emerge victorious? Will R.E.M. live up to their number one seed? Will recently uh, muddied uh, Pearl Jam and their tainted poster reputation or Pearl Jam have a chance to reach the promised land? Can Nirvana find Nirvana? Get voting now and stay tuned for more matchups every week. Remember, every Saturday, there's a new round of matchups. You can vote for three days and then we'll move on to the next round. So make sure it's a lot of fun. Make sure you're paying attention. Make sure you're participating. Make sure you're commenting because, quite frankly, that's the best part of this thing is the conversation that happens within the community that is out there. Uh, That's always my favorite part of this. I love the work. I love the process. I love the conversations. I love doing this pod. I love the radio show. But at the end of the day, if it isn't leading to conversations between a bunch of us and it's just me talking – it seems pretty pointless. So I'd love it if you'd, you'd join in and uh, and be a part of the discussion. I'd also love it if you'd join in and support the show. Uh, the show and the work that I do over at the blog are powered by your financial support. So please sign up for a subscription today for as little as $5 a month. Go to whatamimaking.substack.com and sign up for a paid subscription. You can sign up for a monthly, a yearly, or even a founding membership. Your dollars are crucial to the work that I am doing here, so please Just head on over there right now and just get it done. As long as you're in your pod player, by the way, like, rate, and review this pod. Uh, The one place that would be super helpful is I know a lot of you are listening on Apple Podcasts, and right now I think there are only nine or ten reviews there. I would love it if we could get that up to 12 or 15 here this week. So please, just go over, give it a five-star review, write one nice little sentence. You don't have to lie or say anything that's not true, and just let us know that you appreciate it, and then that way it'll probably find more ear holes that we can get in front of. Uh, don't forget, you can always email the show at whatamimakingblog at gmail.com. I want to hear your suggestions, your guest ideas, the different things that you think I should be talking about or covering. Maybe you want to participate in the 13 films list. Uh, the other thing I should mention that's not even on my list of shit to talk about, don't forget that we're doing our first ever live 
WAIM Movie Club in conjunction with a local bookshop, A Novel Concept, and Lansing's Robin Theater. On March 13th, we will be showing My Life as a Dog. We'll be doing a special screening of the film, and I'll do a little intro beforehand, and then afterward, we'll have a moderated discussion. We're going to have some food and drink there as well, and we'd love to have you come out. Again, it's 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday, March 13th at the Robin Theater in Lansing, Michigan. You can get tickets now at the Robin Theater. That's T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot com. The Robin Theater dot com. Go over there and get your tickets today. You can buy tickets for the screening or you can even buy a combo where you will get the novel upon which the film was based. And you can not only support my work and the Robin Theater, but you can also help support the vital work that the folks at a novel concept are doing by running uh, one of the finest bookshops in mid-Michigan. Don't forget, you can leave me a message at speakpipe.com slash what am I making? Um, I just got one of these recently from my friend Barry Hummel about a new project we're working on, and I would love to hear from you. Maybe you've got an idea for the show. Maybe you've got a comment, a question, a concern, whatever it is, please jump on there. It's it's uh, speakpipe.com slash what am I making? You just use your phone or your tablet or your computer to record a good old-fashioned voicemail, and then I can even play it on the show. Um, let's get to the uh, the meat and potatoes of my uh, my show, shall we? Let's, let's get to the reason you're here. Not for me to ramble about the stuff you already know about over at the blog, but for the conversation that you showed up here for. My friend Mark Neese is not only an avid reader, but his gig as a cataloger at Lansing's Capital Area District Library expands his literary universe far beyond what a regular appetite for reading would normally allow. Much like my chats with Kevin Alexander and my daughter Maddie recounting their favorite music of 2023, Mark lets me cheat off of his homework to share his favorite books of the year. We cover the genius of Paul McCartney and his brilliant new volume of photos from the year that the Beatles broke. There are a trio of graphic novels that capture everything from a young woman's lonely journey of adolescence to the rise of a dictator to the story of a long-forgotten sit-down strike told within the locker room of a semi-pro hockey team. Mark shares his first experience with a legendary YA novel that is the only cheat on the list, and there is a surprisingly slender volume with a special story behind it. And of course... There are tons of words on music, from Echo and the Bunnymen to Black Sabbath, the Beatles, and the drug-addled past and present of Detroit's music scene. In addition to his favorite books of 2023, we talk about Mark's son living in Germany and the amazing travel opportunities that that has provided to the Nice family. There's also a brief recap of some of Mark's favorite films from the year as well. And we hit upon Mark's love of music more than once in a varied and truly lovely conversation. So... Come hang with me and Mark Neese to find out about the new books you'll be picking up the next time you hit the local library or your favorite local bookshop. I really hope you dig it. Enjoy. Here's me and Mark. for film film books music and books okay yep all right um how long have you done that i i am a little sporadic with that okay um i try to do it every year just post it on social media right for anybody who cares sure (laughs) and uh i usually get a decent response 
from that. And but, it's just um, a, it's always just been kind of a personal endeavor. Yeah. Just and like, like a, sort okay. of reviewing the, do you the go gear. back and look at them? Like, sometimes do you, I do. Yeah. Sometimes I will uh, go back. What's that experience like before we get to this year's list? What's that? Oh, sometimes it's like, wow, I forgot that I liked that movie. <laughs> or, <laughs> or I forgot that I read that book. <laughs> um, yeah, I, like we ingest so much stuff. Yeah. Like you forget that like that's a that's a thing. And I would I would assume reading a lot of books is kind of an occupational hazard for you. Yeah, and I I don't read as much as I think I should. <laughs> I definitely don't read yeah, as much as I should. I'm trying to get better. I um, uh, well, you clearly are reading enough to have a top ten list. Yeah, which must uh-huh. mean you at least you at least pretended to read ten books. <laughs> yeah, I did. So I did congratulations. Get over 10. Uh, yeah. How many books do you think you read? Oh, I read a little over twenty. Okay, twenty one, twenty two. Okay, which, so you're mm. reading you're reading roughly a book every two weeks. Yeah, not quite. Yeah, it I. Once again, I would like to get better at that. That's a New Year's resolution for me. Oh, okay, Cut down before on we the dive TV in... watching and maybe real. Uh, before we dive into your list, then how are you with New Year's resolutions? Um, I'm a little iffy on that sometimes. Okay. <laughs> is it something? Is that something you typically do every year? Like, um, do you normally set set up? a series of goals and go, all right, this year we're focusing on this, or is it kind of a thing where like once in a while you have a re- resolution and then you do it or you don't? Yeah. It's usually maybe one or two things okay. per year. Yeah. I try not to go um, crazy with that. I didn't even do one this year. Oh yeah. 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 I didn't even pretend to do one. I don't know if I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I kind of like that. I've gotten a week into January and I haven't really thought about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Um, do you want to do these in, like, are they in any kind of order? Did you do them, like, um, 10 to 1? Uh, let's or did, see. Or are they just kind of in random order, Mark? Kind of ma- mainly in, in a random order, it appears. Then let's just do them in random order. Okay. So, let's right. just do, so what's the first one you got down? Well, the first one I have is called Acid Detroit, a psychedelic story of Motor City Music by Joe Malloy, which I read in uh, about October. Okay. Um, so is this mostly like the MC5 and uh, that whole scene? He talks about that. He goes up into um, like the um, electronic uh, music ele- oh, yeah, uh, sure. in Detroit in the 80s, which I really didn't know much about. Uh, he's a young guy. He's only in his early 20s, this Joe oh, Malloy. Oh, wow. And uh, he, he writes about Detroit music um sort of through the prism of um the acid communism theories of Mark Fisher who is an English he's passed away but he's a, an English philosopher and social critic okay who I really didn't know anything about uh sometimes the book reads like a book written by a guy in his early 20s okay now there's a little like a little forthright and a little, maybe a little naive. A little ardent? A little ardent. A little, <laughs> yeah, a little forthright and, you know, a bit strident sometimes. Yeah. But he's a obviously smart guy, and he he's from Detroit. Okay. So he knows what he's That's talking exciting. about. Yeah. Uh, what, um... 
what else does he cover if he's covering that sort of late 60s early 70s stuff and then the the 80s sort of the birth of what we think of as Detroit techno mm-hmm. um is he using this sort of like psychedelic acid-based communism or whatever it is from Mark Fisher is that filtering into other scenes in Detroit as well he's talking about yeah like um white stripes and uh so you know the garage rock scene um of the early of the 90s in yeah the 90s late 90s um and the, the 60s stuff you know mc5 uh iggy um i think he talked about uh p-funk in there too so pretty much every every 90s um music genre you can think of from from detroit well, the, from the 60s I mean, up through the present really yeah um, and the nineties were certainly like the whole music was kind of built on a drug culture unless it was grunge, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe then it was heroin. I don't know. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, this sounds really fascinating. Yeah. Um, I gotta, I gotta, I'm sure I'm going to say I got to check all of these out <laughs> and I won't, but like, this sounds really, this sounds really great. What, uh, what's next on the list? Okay. Next I have untold power, the fascinating rise in complex legacy. Of First Lady Edith Wilson. By this is uh, Woodrow Wilson's wife. Yeah, Woodrow Wilson. I wife. know nothing about this woman. Okay, so tell me. Well, um, she is thought to have been almost the de facto president of the United States after Woodrow Wilson suffered a stroke. Um, this would have been. After World War One, yeah, this is like 1919, 1920, mm-hmm. something like yeah, that. Basically, the yeah. last two years of his administration, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, and I remember taking a survey history class when I was a freshman at Michigan State, and the professor John Coogan, uh, who I loved, adored. He was a very tough taskmaster, but he was a great lecturer. Anyway, he talked about Edith Wilson as being almost, like I said, de facto president of the United States. And I was, you know, 18 years old, had never heard that story before. That was right. no mind blower. But, uh, yeah, it's, this is a, it's a good book. Um, she, uh, was, um, married rather early. And then, well, let me think she was widowed for a long time. Uh, she was a businesswoman um, in the late, we're talking early, well, late 18, 1800s, early 1900s. So um, a little bit of ahead of her, ahead of her time in that regard. Um, and another funny part of the book is learning about um, how Woodrow Wilson wrote her just these gushing love letters. Really? <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> flowery, gushing love letters. And she was like... Okay, yeah, all right. I don't know that she had the same passion for him early so on. So it, it was kind of a one-sided relationship a in terms bit. of their... Yeah, okay. I think finally she relented. And is this degree. a situation where this is a woman who, were it not for the strictures of the time, probably would have been a pretty remarkable independent woman? I think so, yeah. Yeah. That's I, what it sounds like. It, I, I don't want to say that's a common story, but like... There are a lot of those. There's mm-hmm. a lot of like what ifs oh, with yeah. with female stories. I feel like mm-hmm. from that time period. This sounds yeah. this sounds utterly fascinating. Like I said, I was I'm basically aware of the fact that 
she was, as you said, de facto president for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know nothing more than that, that he had a stroke and was debilitated and she basically stepped in and everyone just kept it quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't wait to what is the, by the way, what is the breakdown of fiction versus nonfiction on your list? Oh, let's see. It's probably mainly nonfiction. Okay. Um, and that's totally, that's my wheelhouse, Mark. Mm-hmm. I don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not some Philistine who's incapable of reading fiction. <laughs> oh, no, I get it. But I, for whatever reason, I just tend to gravitate toward nonfiction. Mm-hmm. It is just, um, but I, I watch more nonfiction film than most people do, I think. Okay. Yeah. You know, I watch a lot of nonfiction. I watch a lot of documentary. Mm-hmm. Like a shit ton. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and um, are all of these books from this year? They are. Well, there's, there is uh, a, two books on this top 10 list that are not from 2023. Okay. That's still pretty damn remarkable mm-hmm. that you managed to get that in what, i don't uh, usually do that <laughs> what's uh it's inc- like i said i don't think i read 10 books this year okay uh so good for you um what's next uh we have um this is a fun one into the void from birth to black sabbath and beyond by geezer butler of the band black sabbath oh man <laughs> this was a book that just passed across my desk at uh cattle the Capital Area District Library, and I didn't really know anything about it or necessarily have any intention of reading it until I saw it. It looked, it looked like a fun read, and it indeed it was a fun read. Um, Is it as debauched as one would hope? Oh, definitely. Oh, good. oh there's all kinds of great stories. Oh yeah, about all kinds of, of Ozzy Osbourne's seeming ability to pee and poop at will. <laughs> <laughs> so, not to get put too put too fine a point on it, but oh, that's amazing! <laughs> oh wow. Um, so is this kind of is it written in the like? Here's my story, but also kind of a tell-all sort of way. A little bit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, those are fun. Like I, I'm not even a fan. Even I enjoyed the Heroin Diaries. Okay. Like, I don't like Molly Crew. Yeah. I, <laughs> That that book is it's a it's really fun. It's surprisingly well written. Like it's mm-hmm. not brilliant or anything, but it's his voice. Yeah, and yeah. it's coherent enough that you go, "This sounds like Nikki Six, You know, like mm-hmm. this. But it's it's eloquent and articulate enough that it conveys the story in kind of simple language. And um, he has the most ridiculous stories about the most ridiculous people. <laughs> and it's, it's like watching reality TV. You can't look away. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. So I, I kind of hope this is the same sort of thing. Oh yeah. It's fun. It's yeah. Fun. Um, what is your relationship with Sabbath? Well, I wasn't really into them when I was younger. Um, but got into my thirties and, uh, sort of, discovered them quote unquote so I, I really like their early stuff me too the late 60s early 70s stuff you know sabbath bloody sabbath um you know the self-titled debut paranoid yeah yeah i think those first three or four records are really really great mm-hmm. and they they largely will go on to define an entire genre and generation of music mm-hmm. you know i mean i don't think you have I don't think you have metal as we know it without Sabbath. 
Um, you know, smarter people than I who know a lot more about metal than I do would be able to tell you that. But I, that to me feels like sort of the epicenter of that. I mean, I know a lot of people say it's Zeppelin or whatever, but to me it's Sabbath feels like ground zero. It feels, that Mm -hmm. feels like the Rosetta stone. Yeah. Um, this book sounds like a blast. It's fun. It's Um, fun. Is it a breeze to read? I assume it's, yeah, it's pretty breezy. Yeah. 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 Can knock it out in a few days. Nice. What's next? Okay, we have um, a book called Accidental Czar, The Life and Lies of Vladimir Putin by Andrew S. Weiss. And this is a a graphic novel. Well, it's not, not novel, but it's an illustrated uh, biography of, um, of Putin. Uh, and I had wanted to read more about Putin to get kind of an... Being a big fan, inside, yeah. Being a big fan, that you are. (laughs) Putin's greatest hits, yeah. (laughs) Such a likable guy he is. Um, but you were you were intrigued by the subject matter, and then was this another one that just kind of came across the desk? Came across my desk, and I I wasn't interested in reading some deep, dense biography of a guy I don't like. Right. (laughs) So, but this being illustrated, I thought I can knock this out pretty quickly, and uh, and I did. Uh, the author is a guy who was a actually worked in um, intelligence for the oh, wow. U.S. government, so he knows what he's talking about. Uh, so, I for anyone who's interested in getting a little bit more of an inside story about Putin and what makes the guy tick, how he rose to prominence in yeah. Russia, how he went from a low-level KGB agent to being, you know, the head of one of the most powerful countries in the world and wreaking havoc, uh, obviously in Ukraine and in his own country, I would say I would recommend this book. It sounds really interesting. Um, what is your sort of experience and relationship with graphic novels? I am a big fan of graphic novels. Okay. Awesome. I am. And I have to kind of wrestle. I, I have a blog, <laughs> I'm not promoting my blog no, here. No, please but, do. Um, it's called Brain Splotch. Brain, Spot, Brain Splotch at uh, Blogspot. But I was writing about um, how I wrestle with thinking that graphic novels somehow aren't quote-unquote real books. They're lesser than. Yeah, and it's just not fair. It's not fair to the writers and creators of graphic novels. Not fair to me either. No, no, I I think you can see that it's a different art form. Mm-hmm. You know, there's poetry, prose, and graphic novels, I guess, right? Um, it's not Faulkner. No. Right? Yeah. But it's not invalid. No. And it's something that I, this is one of the reasons I asked the question, because I have one of these, I wish I did that more. I don't read graphic novels. I don't. I don't dive into that world. I just I just actually got uh, loaned a copy of Persepolis by a friend. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um and then proceeded to immediately uh sublet it to my daughter who saw it when she was over the other day. And oh, she was like, "Oh, okay. I've been meaning to read that." And I'm like, "You should take it then and read it now." Okay. So hopefully we'll it'll make the rounds and we'll all do it. Mm-hmm. But um I kind of love that there's a whole world of kids who are entering reading through that lens. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems pretty magical to me. Were you a comic book kid, Mark? To some extent. 
Okay. Um, I wasn't really a superhero guy. I read a lot of the war comics, like Sergeant Rock and Sergeant Fury. Sure, sure. And the Unknown Soldier. Okay. Um, went through a period of that when I was like 12, 13, 14. Uh, I dabbled a little bit in the superheroes like Batman. But, um, yeah, that whole world was never, I was never a comic book kid and that whole world was never really that interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure it's, uh, a false binary, but I always felt like you were either a baseball card kid or a comic book kid (laughs) and I was a baseball card kid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I had friends that were into it and I, like, I understood it. But even at an early age, I was like, I don't have to pretend to like that. Like, that's mm-hmm. not for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yet, there's a whole world of it that, like, I kind of... I, I feel a little envious that I didn't get it. Because mm-hmm. there's... You know, but I, you can't have... You know, I can't have that same relationship with everything that I have with music and film, right? You can't... You just can't... I don't have... Hey, I don't have enough time to enjoy those two things enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, you're busy as a musician. You've got um, to focus well, on. Well, so. and, like, how much... And, I mean, even, I mean, we've podcaster. got all this stuff to watch and to listen yeah. to and uh-huh. to read. We, there's no time. Even if, we, even if we are lucky and only work 35 or 40 hours a week, you've still got to have <laughs> a life, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyway, this... this Because uh, I, too, am interested in the Putin thing. Um, in fact, I listened to a pretty good podcast about this issue. Oh, okay. Um and it didn't go it was really more about like here's him as a young man and it was mm-hmm. kind of like this is going to inform who he becomes yeah right yeah, he did not have a particularly good childhood no 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 and his experience in the military was very much like the first time he'd ever been anything that was close to a family mm-hmm. and then it was all this hatred toward this one enemy yeah it's, i'm yeah I'm ex- uh, there's not a single book here where like on the inside I'm going uh, that one I'm definitely not interested in <laughs> yeah uh, when we get there I'll tell you that okay <laughs> uh, what's number five man okay we oh this is a good one 1964 Eyes of the Storm by Paul McCartney okay um, I didn't know anything about this until you posted your list what is this book this is a treasure trove of photographs that were recently discovered in Paul McCartney's archives that Paul took himself. Um, the, I think almost all of them, maybe a few were taken by the other Beatles, but uh, probably at least 95% of them were taken by Paul McCartney. So they are first-person photos of their experiences of that year. Yeah, 1964, their, their first trip to the United States. Uh, and it's just a fascinating view into this band right before everything exploded and uh just some in mccartney is like <laughs> the guy is so talented it just you know it just drives you crazy he's a great photographer it's amazing these photos haven't been seen until now wow um so this is like a full-on picture book it's mainly photos there there's a Excellent introduction by Jill Lepore, the historian. I love Jill Lepore. Yeah, she puts everything into context. She contextualizes the band with what was happening in the world in 1964 with the politics, the Kennedy assassination, LBJ, civil rights. Yeah, very worth reading. You definitely oh should read God, the introduction. Oh my God, this sounds incredible. 
Um, I love these books that take the idea of culture and a moment and they go, this is history. This, this cultural thing that's happened, this is history. Mm-hmm. So we all look at that. Okay, so for example, we all look at that Ali photo, that famous photo of him standing over Sonny Liston. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Where he's got like the fist curled and he's looking down on him after he's knocked him out. And we all see that as a guy in a ring. And there is mm-hmm. so much more attached to that photo because of the life that Muhammad Ali led. That photograph is history. Not just history of the Liston-Ali fight, but history of that man, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah. so when I get to see stuff like that, like what you're talking about here with this first-person account, like to me that seems like – it's like if you don't – if you can't get excited about that, how do you get excited about anything? Mm-hmm. You can't oh, definitely. like that's not that's not history. That's life. That's that's alive. It maybe happened 60 years ago, but it's alive. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I can't wait. My book budget's going through the roof, Mark. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Right. What's next, man? OK, next we have another graphic novel. This is the recent one by Daniel Close. Oh, people may know from Ghost World. And he's done plenty of others. He's probably the preeminent illustrator in the graphic novel comic world. Anyway, the book is called Monica and it is about um, a woman who is grows up in the late 60s, early 70s. Her um, mother is sort of a free spirit. Um, she doesn't really know her father her mother goes through a series of lovers who enter the picture and then promptly leave. Uh, her mom eventually just decides she can't raise um, her, um, Monica. <laughs> I have, I think, that, yeah, the main character's name is Monica. Um, anyway, so she drops her off at her grandparents and she is raised by her grandparents. And so basically the book is about her trying to retrace her roots, try to find out what was going on with her mom, um, what 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 happened to her mom. Uh, she discovers her mom and joined a cult at some point. Um, this is fiction, by the way. This oh, yeah, a- <laughs> yeah. And so this is a situation where... She's looking back on it from adulthood then? Yes. Okay, yes. so this she's basically retrace. looking at present day, looking back at this period in the early 70s or whenever it is uh-huh. when her mom basically abandons her. Yes, okay. yes, exactly. All right. Trying to retrace her own um, family, her own uh, um, family lineage. Um, and uh, I don't think I'm describing it that well, but it's really good. I would I would recommend that. Um, and is it a similar visual style to say Ghost World, which is a which is a graphic novel I'm at least familiar with? Mm-hmm. Somewhat. Um, he uses a a few different styles illust- okay. illustration wise in the book, depending on okay, depending on the chapter. So he'll some right. of it's more like traditional um, uh, comic book. Um, style that you might recognize from, say, a 1970s comic book. Right. Some sort of conventional like, panel approach or whatever uh-huh. you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's got a really interesting um, 
he has a unique perspective. Yeah, there are some sci-fi elements to this, some really? supernatural elements. It has a very strange ending, which I will not give away. Okay. A little bit, a uh, little dark. Wow, <laughs> little this, dark. Sounds, this sounds really intriguing. Um, wow, this is really cool. Yeah, there's, there's almost like the specter of... Um, the end of the world hanging over. Okay, the but that's not, that's not necessarily explicitly. No, no, not really. Described. Sort okay. of build upon that. Um, that's interesting. I'm one of the things I was kind of curious about in looking at your book was I wondered if there was going to be any kind of through line of stuff that we're writing about or reading or absorbing. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I always wonder, if, like looking at the end of the year, in ten years, will I be able to look at this and go, okay, that's indicative of the time we were living in, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Putin thing certainly feels that way. This Monica book feels like it's very indicative. Like we feel like it feels right now like we are in a very pensive moment a very mm-hmm. self-reflective moment mm-hmm. or at least we should be anxiety you know we're, yeah we're all definitely feel well i was just having this conversation earlier today you know like we're living in a world where all of these things that we took to be these sort of like massive stone buildings are all built on swampland mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah you know everything yeah. from our democracy to our economy to being able to just go out and see our family was mm-hmm. was compromised by COVID. Like oh, we're yeah. living in a world where all of these things that have been sure forever are kind of in question now for the first time in our lifetime, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it it seems like it seems like ten or fifteen years from now, the art that's really going to matter is going to be the art that reflected that. Mm-hmm. I think in some way, and this seems like it's very much in line with that. Um, that's super cool, Mark. What's next? Okay, we have um, Echoes, a memoir continued by Will Sargent. Okay, um, this is already on my list. Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, because I just love this band. <laughs> and um, did you read his other book, by the way? I did, yeah. yeah. Was that really good one. as well? It was great, yeah. Um, is he a good writer? He is a good writer, yes. Because being He's a great, great musician does not mean you're a great uh-huh. writer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hello, Morrissey. <laughs> yeah. Did you read that book? I started reading it. Uh-huh. I just couldn't get through it. We all started reading that book, didn't we? Uh-huh. We've all got an unread copy of that sitting on our shelf. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. On the other hand, the Johnny Marr book, eminently readable. Okay. Now, I haven't read that. Totally but I, I readable. Need to read that. Very uh, engaging. Sounds like his voice. There are times where you're like, this isn't great writing, but it's genuine. It's like it's it's his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels very much like the old salt of just sit down and tell me about it, mm-hmm. you know, and just do it on the page. Yeah. Um, and he he takes that ethos and then he's got a pretty good editor. OK. Um, yeah. You know, Peter Hook, not a bad writer. Okay. Shockingly enough. OK. <laughs> you know, again, you know, for a guy like Hooky, viewpoint's not going to be a problem, mm-hmm. right? He's going to have he's going to have an attitude and a, um, a an opinion about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but the the Will Sargent thing, um, how does this differ from the other book? Is it just an extension? Um, this one only covers about two years. Really, this is a book that's probably over three hundred pages long, <laughs> but. Um, there's a lot about um, the various tours that they went on. Um, he writes 
really beautifully about um, traveling to Berlin um, in the 1980s before the wall came down. And, oh, wow. Um, venturing into East Berlin, um, which for me is more fascinating now than it used to be now that I have a son living in Germany. Um, so there's there's some really good stuff about um, just being on the road, being with his bandmates, um, you know, some fun stories of, you know, um, adventurous drives in uh, uh, vans of uh, questionable quality. Yes. Uh, uh, there's not a lot about songwriting, unfortunately. I, th- I wish he'd spend a little bit more time about the creative process. Yeah. Uh, not 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 enough of that, I think. But he's very self-deprecating, very funny guy. You, you definitely feel the working class Liverpool <laughs> reading what's uh, really what funny is have you seen them Mark I saw them uh, six years ago okay at uh, Pine Knob okay I think it was um, was that the was that with the Violent Femmes yes it was that was at Meadowbrook <laughs> actually Meadowbrook yeah. yes I was at that show get them that confused. was the first time I had ever seen them first time for me too yeah, and I've seen them a couple times since okay and one of the things that I loved about seeing them in clubs a couple times since because I've seen them at the state and I the other room is escaping me at the moment but um, having seen them they have this like it, McCulloch especially has this real kind of snarky Kind of mm-hmm. pissy yeah. Liverpudlian like, thing. I was Liam Gallagher before there was a Liam Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Sergeant's over there just like a goddamn coal miner, uh-huh. just goes yeah. to work every exactly. day. Yeah. Just goes uh-huh. to work. He's just left a little prima donna bitch. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it, it really pleases me that he's a good writer. He is. Um, because I. I think so much of that world that specifically from the English perspective is such a very fading culture. Like Mm -hmm. these are kids that grew up not just in the wake of the Beatles, but they grew up in the wake of the Beatles and this whole thing that came with it that made where they were from cool Mm -hmm. and where they were from had never been anything close to cool. And they didn't understand why everyone else thought it was cool because they still didn't think it was cool. (laughs) And I kind of love that. Like, Mm -hmm. I kind of love the... I mean, everybody hates where they're from, right? Everybody (laughs) shits on their hometown. Yeah. Until someone else shits on your hometown, then it's... uh, It's like making fun of my sister. I can make fun of my sister. You don't get to talk about my sister, (laughs) right? Uh Um, And yet they never left. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. They're still, you yeah, know. I think, uh, what's Will the, what's the term they the use? The um, skonks or oh, um, the yeah. Um, oh my gosh, um, uh, I'm embarrassed. I can't remember this, but <laughs> um, whatever that whatever the term is they use for themselves, the sort of like self pejorative scouser, scouser. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm a scouser. You know, uh-huh. um, and and so like I love that sort of chip on your shoulder about where you're from. I was, I don't mean to go too far afield. I was just in Knoxville last summer. And the thing I loved about Knoxville was it reminded me of Lansing. Oh, okay. And the reason that it reminded me of Lansing was it's college town Mm -hmm. living in the shadow of this other cultural entity 
and people assume that you have to have it all in one place and never in the other. And so Knoxville lives in the shadow of Memphis and Nashville all the time. Mm -hmm. And yet there is this remarkable local music scene and going on in this cultural community. That's incredible, but no one knows because it's not where everybody says Mm -hmm. like there's probably an amazing local music scene in like Fort Worth, but because it's not Austin, (laughs) nobody gives a shit, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, True. So I, I kind of love that they write about the dinginess and the dirtiness and the shittiness of where they're from. Mm-hmm. And There's then plenty go, of yeah, but it's, it's books, mine. Yes. I mean, I was joking around with somebody the other day driving rideshare, and they were like, do you love Lansing? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I'm like, it's a shithole, but it's my shithole. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's next, yep. man? <laughs> okay, next we have um, another graphic novel. Surprise, surprise. All right. This one is called Strikers, a graphic novel by, um, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Keel Fagley. Um, this is another book that just came across my desk. It's a young adult graphic novel. It is about a youth hockey team in Flint, Michigan in the 1980s. And all three of those factors were like, okay, um, youth hockey team, check. Flint, check. <laughs> In 1980s, I'm there. Yeah. So uh, it was fun. It's a fun book. Um, um, are they called for the strikers for the reason that the I striker? hope? Yeah, because of because striking of the, auto workers? Because of the sit-down strike. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. um, my mom actually wrote a play oh, about okay. the sit-down strike um, okay. that I wish that she would try to stage a oh, reading of. Yeah. But it's an amazing story, and so they must cover the strike in the they do. In the there's, book, there's a little bit of that in there. There's um, at one point in the book, the kids on the youth uh, hockey team are watching television, and there's a news report commemorating the the 50th anniversary of the Flint Flint sit, sit down strike, and these kids don't know anything about this at all, and so it's a little education for them. Um. And so these kids would have been roughly the same age you and I would have been, give or take, bit, in yeah. the 1980s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, I want to say, I want to say the sit-down strike is at 37. Yeah, I want ooh, thir- 36 or 37. 36 or 37. Like yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it's an amazing story. It's mm-hmm. it's an incredible story. Yeah. I mean, uh, for those people who don't know, they spent the holidays in the plant. Mm-hmm. Sitting down, they they weren't with their families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They put um, they went through a lot. It it's it's a really incredible. Oh my god! Okay, three graphic novels, and I'm still excited about yeah. everything on this list. Yeah. Um. So obviously, this covers the strike. Does it also cover kind of the fading prosperity of Flint, oh, Michigan? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um. Were yeah. you a were you somebody who grew up and was moved by Roger and Me when it came out? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I remember watching right. that documentary. What is your relationship with Flint? Well, um I, I grew up um in the Thumb uh in Cairo from the ages of 10 to 18. Okay. So that Flint's a little ways away, but um I I didn't play youth hockey, but I knew a, a kid who was on a youth hockey team. And we would occasionally go to the IMA Sports Arena in Flint. He would have some games there. Right. Um, and then uh, the the old International Hockey League also plays a part in this book. And I remember going to IHL games in the 80s, the Saginaw Generals. These used to be Flint, the Flint, Flint Generals, and they moved to Saginaw. Yep. 
Uh, then there were the Flint Spirits. Yep. So that that's a, a fourth part of this book that was like, oh boy, oh my gosh. The IHL in a book? Yeah, I'm reading that. Uh, and so you said this is my YA, relationship right? with Flint. Yeah, this is uh this is a probably um, aimed at like kids thirteen to fourteen, but there's so much in this book that is a, almost adult specific. Like if you grew up during this time period, if you were a kid in the eighties, if you grew up in Michigan in the eighties, if you grew up anywhere near Flint in the eighties, you'll love it. And there's some humor in the book that I don't think kids would get. Okay. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a point in the book where um, uh, it's kind of this ne'er-do-well um, uh, chaperone takes the kids to an IHL game, and he, he gets completely bombed <laughs> at the game. <laughs> and he's got to call the kid's mom to drive over to pick the kids up, take them home. And he, he says something like, Hey, I'm doing the responsible thing. I'm calling your mom to come and pick us up at the game. That's right. After he's had like 10 beers. That's right. He's doing the responsible yeah. thing. <laughs> he's the careful one. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. This sounds this sounds really great. I my my dear friend Jeff Gower, who's in the stick rounds and teaches um middle school special ed, uh grew up in this part of the world knows this IHL world that you're talking about really well. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to share this book with him. Oh yeah. I'm really excited about mm-hmm. this. Um this sounds this sounds really cool. Um not to mention just the again that that sort of workmanlike thing of like semi pro hockey. Like mm-hmm. just there's a little some elements of slap shot in this book. Oh. Now imagine like a youth hockey team with a little slap shot. There's like, a, a kind of like, kinda like slap shot meets bad news bears. A little bit, yeah. Right yeah, on. Absolutely. Uh my my uh my dear friend Chad Patterson and I have a uh have a theory. Do you know why bad news bears is great? Because it's hilarious when little kids swear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's a good point. <laughs> uh that movie's also really well done and just and Walter Matthau is brilliant. Uh-huh. But um it it doesn't hurt that Tanner Boyle is a foul mouth oh, little yeah. prick. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> what's uh what's next, my friend? Okay, um next I have uh <laughs> Westminster Abbey, a souvenir guide by S. May West, which um this is just some little slender volume that I picked up when I was in London over the summer. And uh I just threw it on the list because it was actually surprisingly well written. Um just all kinds of fun stories about you know, violence and beheadings and overthrows and <laughs> all the sordid history of England. Um, For a quote-unquote civilized people, they are rather barbarous. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like, it reads like Goodfellas or something. It's like... <laughs> oh, it's dude, it's very mob-like. Oh, I mean, I was just having Family Movie Club yesterday, and we were talking about the difference between The Godfather and Goodfellas. That one is Shakespeare and the other one is just a bunch of working schmucks, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, like there is kind of that sort of like mob mentality to the idea of inherited power. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's about as fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, what was your experience at Westminster like? Oh, it was great. It was great. Um, my first time in London uh just just the history of the place is just 
mind-blowing. The various tombs and monuments to different figures. Was there anybody in particular that you wanted to see? Was there like one little placard that you were like, oh man, I gotta see that one? Well, Poet's Corner was the one area that I was aware of before I went there, and so I got to see that. It's pretty sweet. It's, I mean, it's pretty amazing. I... The one thing I really wanted to see was I wanted to see the the Darwin tablet. Okay. I don't know right. why. I just felt like of all the people that they enshrined in that place, he was the one who like maybe upset the apple cart of their whole idea of dominance in the first place. Mm-hmm. And yet they went, that's so brilliant, we have to recognize it. Like that that's kind of amazing. Mhm. Um, and the fact that there's a place called Poets Corner where, like, we've set aside this portion of history just for art. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. You absolutely. Know? Yeah. It's. Uh, was it absolutely just crawling with people when you were there? It was pretty busy. It, yeah. Oh. Well, the, <laughs> it's been, uh, God, it'll be eight years this summer. Um, but, and again, we were there, like, first week of July, so, like, peak season. Like, you don't mm, get any yeah. more everybody's going to London right now than this. Uh-huh. Um, but it was, uh, it's an amazing experience. Like, it's it's a little bit like that first time you go to Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I've seen all this before, but I haven't yeah. seen all this before. Uh-huh. And so, like, as you're kind of Specifically in the Westminster neighborhood, because obviously Parliament's right there in Big Ben. Mm, yeah, all the things you sort of think of as old London. Um, that's really a, it's a really charming little thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a little thing, but it's um, and it's just a beautiful church. Oh yeah, it's just a it beautiful is. church. Mm-hmm. Um, was the uh, was the throne out when you were there? Um, the one that's all yeah, marked the up, one that's the, all carved yeah, up. Yep, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, you just like this is this um, thrones set at by kings and queens, and it's got basically graffiti all over it. Yeah, you know? yeah, it looks like stunning. It looks like a middle schooler's desk. Exactly. Yeah. That they were just like, take a knife, go yeah. for it. You're like. History yep. isn't as neat and clean as we like to, no. to make it out. To no, be. this is a no. prime example when you look at this carved uh, up. And that was, and I don't want to go too far afield as we as we get to number ten. But like that was part of a rather massive trip you took this summer. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yes. So to, let's 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 dive into that for a second. Um, where'd you go besides England? I went to visit my son in Halle, Germany. Um, so we went to Halle, which is sort of like the um, Ypsilanti to um, Leipzig's Ann Arbor. Gotcha. <laughs> if you okay, so Halle when, is the gritty underbelly gritty, it's of pretty Leipzig. Gritty, yeah, understood. Uh huh. Full of history. Full okay. of history. Um, so we, in Halle and Leipzig is where um, um, Handel and um, and Bach, Handel and Bach were both pretty prominent there. So uh, there's a church in Halle where Handel was a music director. And I don't ask me what the name of the church is. Now. <laughs> You'll have to look it up. Uh, and, oh, People have also, the internet. They'll figure it out. Yeah, the, the childhood home of Handel is in, uh, is in Halle. 
There's also a Beatles museum in Hala, believe it or really? not. Really? Uh-huh. Um, just uh, some German Beatles fan decided that he was going to create his own museum, so there's all kinds of odd Beatles paraphernalia in this place. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we were in Hala, then we went to um, to Leipzig. Um, once again, just full of history, beautiful architecture, just stunning. Uh, we went to Dresden. That was my my second time in Leipzig and second time in Dresden because we had also been there in 2021. Uh, so yeah, we were um, in Germany for almost two weeks, and then we went to London for an additional week. That's awesome. Yeah, it was quite an amazing what, uh, trip. What is Dresden like 70 years after the fact? Well, you would never guess that it had been decimated by bombing during during World War II. Really? It's a beautiful city, uh, completely rebuilt. Um, and the architecture is, I don't know how they did this, but they rebuilt it and it looks like an old city. Wow. By and large. And um, it's, it's stunning. It's a really beautiful city. Um, and there is, there was, um, one, uh, church that was left in rubble for many, many years called the Frauenkirche, which was finally rebuilt. Okay. Um, about. Was it left kind of as a monument? monument. It was a, yeah, a monument to the destruction of the city, but it has been rebuilt and it's quite stunning so yeah i highly recommend people taking um, resden taking leipzig if you happen to be in germany i uh, it's worth trip. i have a i have a friend who and a bandmate who teaches german and he takes a group of kids every other year okay and i always threaten that i'm gonna chaperone oh yeah and i think one year i should just do it i should Definitely. just go you know what i know it's weird that your 52 year old friend wants to come along but <laughs> he's gonna chaperone and he's gonna you know do whatever um because it sounds like an amazing place and i mm-hmm. i've been lucky enough to travel a little bit in europe but not not in germany and uh i'm super intrigued yeah it and my son being in germany that's the entire impetus of me going over there. I I never really gave Germany a lot of thought. Right. But my son became interested in German when he was probably in junior high. Oh, and wow. he started studying German in high school. And then he, uh, we had a, a sort of an exchange student yeah. come over to live with us for a few weeks. And uh, she and my son got really close to the point where they became boyfriend girlfriend. Oh wow. And so eventually he decided that he wanted to go to Germany and be with her. And then just sort of a snowball effect, he decided he wanted to go to college in Germany. So wow. he's going to college at the Martin Luther University. That's super cool. And you said he's getting an archaeology degree. Yeah, he's getting a Does he have a particular degree. field of study or has he not narrowed it down that much yet? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't even really know. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's old, about old, halfway through, though. Old stuff, mostly, I'm guessing. Yeah. Our <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, he's become really fascinated with um, primitive technology. He's been oh, watching wow. these videos on YouTube uh, by this Australian guy who builds 
all these things and makes all this pottery using primitive technology techniques. So my son built a kiln in our in our backyard. He built it out of clay, basically. <laughs> and uh, he's been firing pots in there. He did that while he was home for a couple of weeks during the holidays. Just went back in our backyard. That's amazing. Making little pots out of clay that he found in the Red Cedar River. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, fascinating kid. Um, he's 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 done as much to educate me as maybe I have for him. I think... I think when they reach that, you said he's 22? 22, yep. I think when they reach that, mine are 25 and 23, I think when they reach that age, that's when they start to give it back. And I don't, Mm -hmm. they're not giving it back in the sense that they know it. But like, yeah, I'm learning as much from them as they're learning from me these days and probably more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that's how it should be. Mm -hmm. Right? Like I, I should be, I should be keeping up, not, not putting (laughs) Uh down. Yeah. 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 Um, all right, let's swing back. Let's let's finish out the list. What's number 10, my okay, friend? Okay, the last book we have, an oldie but a goodie, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret by Judy I Bloom. love that you put this on the <laughs> that you put this on the list. Obviously, this is a woman who's had a resurgence in the last year with this documentary. Have you seen mm-hmm. the documentary? I did. It was great. I haven't yet. I hear it's awesome. Mhm. Um what what is your relationship with Was this a book you read growing up? I didn't. I didn't okay. read it because when I was a kid in the late 70s into the 80s, it was the book that the boys weren't allowed to read. Right. You know, That's right. It's about having your period. Oh, we can't let the boys read that. Right. Oh, no, they can't handle that. So um, I'd read like Blubber and um, the Fudge books, the boys that, the books that were for the boys. Did she do boys. Pickle Juice, too? Is that her? I think so. I think that might be her. I remember loving Pickle Juice when I was uh-huh. a kid. Yeah. I, so, I mean, I read some of her stuff, but I didn't read this one for the same reason that you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what did you think of it as a th- mid- middle-aged man? <laughs> I loved it. It's a great book, and I, I feel bad that I was discouraged from reading it as a kid because it's the, the part about getting your period is kind of a small part of the book really it's about um it's about a kid moving to a new a new neighborhood and trying to adjust to a new environment um it's a really a coming of age uh story right and uh you know and if boys read about girls getting their period big deal you know maybe 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 that'll create some empathy i was gonna say maybe they'll be less less of a dick yeah like you know, exactly. Um, do you feel like what year was that published? Nineteen seventy, I want to say. Okay. And it so you're reading this all, now. Really. Now, obviously, you're reading this as an adult man. Mm-hmm. Um, and which, maybe I'm looking at it through the eyes of a fifty-something-year-old sure. guy. But I think what's amazing is there's a book that was never for you. It mm-hmm. was actually kept from you. And then you read it at a point where it had nothing really new to say to you, apparently or supposedly. Mm-hmm. And you're really moved by it 50 years after it was written. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty remarkable thing to have as a legacy if you're Judy Bloom. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, how does that happen? How do you write something like that, Mark? 
Yeah, she Judy Bloom just somehow is able to tap into the thoughts and feelings of uh, of kids, of young people, and I don't know how she did it. It's a real special gift. But I also think, um, and maybe this goes back to your thing about strikers too, about how that sort of works on two levels. Mm-hmm. There is this idea of like, yeah, I'm telling you the things you've known since you were a kid, but they just make more sense now that you're an adult. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm going to contextualize it with all this other history or all these other things that make more sense now. But the lesson hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. You know, the essence of the thing has, it's not any different. The simple thing I told you when you were six that you didn't believe, you're 56 and you still don't believe it. <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I need to read, I need to read this book. Um, yeah. And I need and I, to watch this film because yeah. she, she seems like such a neat lady. Mm-hmm. And the um, the film adaptation of the book, that was also a reason that I read it because I, I thought I really need to read this book before I see the adaptation of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And how was the adaptation? Which is really good. It's really is it good really? It's, there's, this, there's more about the parents in the film than... Because, of course, the book is from the young girl's perspective. Right. So the parents are just these sort of adults. That right. She really doesn't know about their inner lives. Yeah. But the the screenwriters and, and, and director really delve into um, the personalities and motivations and fears and um, foibles of the parents. So... Highly recommend the movie and the book. Uh, did the movie make your list? It did make it made my top ten list. For okay, the so the year. movie made obviously it didn't love, come out this year, but it, but but the story yeah. made the the book list and the film list. Yeah, that's yes. awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, before we wrap things up, as long as we're talking about movies based on sort of old source material, did you see the Barbie film? I did. Yeah. Talk to and me I, about your experience and your thoughts about the Barbie film. I thought it was so much fun. So witty, so smart. Um, looked great, very colorful, very funny. Amazing that I just watched it on Christmas Eve for the first okay. time. I hadn't yeah. seen it. Amazing that they did all that without CGI. Oh yeah, that it's all practical effects. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And, uh huh. And I, it's weird to talk about this as a middle-aged dude without sounding like I'm like objectifying Margot Robbie. <laughs> she's beautiful because though. she's amazingly beautiful. She's just a, but an amazing looking woman. So she woman. looks like Barbie, mm-hmm. and she's gorgeous, mm-hmm. and everything she does is charming and lovable. She's so good in this movie. She's oh, yeah. so, so vulnerable. Smart. In the last third of this film, she just is shatteringly good. Uh-huh. Um, and the conceit of the real world versus the Barbie world, and the whole idea. I'm not telling anybody anything they don't already know. I'm just jumping on the bandwagon and saying, wow, a movie that I, when I found out it was being made, I was like, that sounds really dumb. <laughs> exactly. I felt the same way. Yeah. And then uh-huh. this got happened and you're, and the, you know, this, this is how it turns out. And you're just like, God damn, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I was just wrong. Um, what else? Do you have a couple more like quick hits for your movie thing? As long as we're here. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, we don't see. need to do them all, but like, do you have a couple favorites from the year? Um, well, as I said, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret was definitely up there, probably in my top five. Um, and then The Holdovers with Paul Giamatti. Okay. 
fantastic which just showed movie. up on streaming and i'm really excited oh, to watch yeah. it so good if you grew up enjoying those early 70s movies like harold and maude you know just those character driven movies are um, you a fan of the sort of the alexander payne universe I am, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Um, yeah. I'm especially I'm especially kind of smitten with Election. I think that's a particularly oh, yeah. great film. Absolutely. That is frighteningly prescient at the moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, what else? Did you see anything else this year that really like blew your mind? Like, uh, I mean, Oppenheimer's kind of one of the big obvious ones. Mm-hmm. I, I saw that film twice in the theater. I... I was utterly floored by it. I thought it was absolutely uh-huh. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I you know, I like that. I respect that movie so much. There's something about... Um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking out. The director of... Chris Nolan. Uh, Chris Nolan. Yeah. Um, something that just kind of leaves me cold sometimes with these uh, he, movies. He has that effect. Like, I, I was never one who really got... Like, I never fell in love with Inception. Mm-hmm. Thought it was a neat idea. Thought it was well conceived. Yeah, not that stoked about it. Yeah, right. Sometimes it's it feels like check out the big brain on Chris Nolan. Here, <laughs> you know? But um, so but so that one maybe just made okay. outside my top ten, and that's fine. I just I'm trying to. I didn't watch a lot of new film this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I a- did have. I did have to sit through a lot of really bad film from 2022 this year. Oh, yeah. Well, that was. We watched all of the. We watched a, a series of sixteen films from twenty twenty two. In twenty twenty three, as part of my family movie club, mm-hmm. and I think maybe th- I would say that maybe three of them were good films. Okay, I mean I'd have to go back and look at the list, but like, it was almost all garbage. Mark uh-huh. <laughs> the stuff that was lauded from the year before. Oh, yeah, was like it was just terrible. Anything in particular that Elvis was awful. Yeah, that was just it was just ugh, just yeah. a dreadful, dreadful film. Yeah, I thought Women Talking was a great idea that just felt like it went nowhere. Okay. Um, I thought the whale was one of the worst, most like sentimental, oh, yeah. oh, could, like yeah, sentimentally was, manipulative films I'd seen in a very watch. long time, and I don't understand why anybody thought that that performance deserved an Academy Award. Mm-hmm. Um. The one film from 2022 that absolutely blew me away was After Sun. I love that. I saw that on a plane flight. That was beautiful. The relationship I cried between at the, the end of that film in a way, in a way that I have never emotionally reacted to a movie before, mm-hmm. ever. Yeah, like I, I was a puddle of tears for 20 solid minutes, and for the next hour, I really couldn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it's a. If you have kids, that's an emotionally oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, stacked experience uh, and if you have kids and you've struggled with mental illness mm. oh shit <laughs> yeah yeah uh-huh. um, anything else from, from last year that well, stands let's out let's see um, there's a movie called You Hurt My Feelings I'm not familiar kind of a it's a comedy um, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus um, I do know a, what this is yeah about she's she's a novelist she lets her husband read her manuscript he says something negative about her manuscript um, thinking that she hadn't heard him say it she says it to um, uh, I think it's their brother-in-law if I okay. remember correctly so it's basically about just 
people getting <laughs> their feelings hurt. But uh, it's, our, it's very our, funny. And our general lack of confidence. I mean, uh-huh, exactly. Yeah. We ought to be able to take somebody giving us yeah. a piece of criticism without mm-hmm. us being forced to question our entire existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, I, uh, it's about I, them I say that as someone intimately familiar with that problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else before I let you go? Oh, let's see. Um, uh, Bottoms was a very funny comedy, uh, a teen comedy. That. Um, oh yes. Yeah. With yes. The, it, kind of a talk, dealing with the LGBTQ kids. Yeah, and and kind of. I heard what was the phrase I heard. Um, the most sentimental raunchy team comedy you'll Pretty see this raunchy, year, or something like that. Surrealistic, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it. Once again, if if you if you don't like raunchy humor, stay away from it. But if uh, if you uh, if you enjoy that kind of humor, um, there was a movie a couple of years ago called Good Boys. I don't think I saw that. Um, one. and it's. It's certainly not an artful piece of film, but it's basically the story of these three middle school kids who have a day. It's it takes place in one day. Okay. And it's them like they're all jacked up on puberty and enthusiasm and fear and anxiety and they have this one day. Mm. And it's this raunchy teen comedy where they like try to use a drone to see girls naked in a swimming <laughs> pool and like it's and they learn about shit that's way above their uh, emotional IQ mm-hmm. um, and it's hilarious and it is this lovely look at don't let's let's not just go running to destroy innocence as early as possible mm-hmm. and it's really kind of a lovely little film it's kind of cute okay that sounds yeah, good I, it, it's fun it's it's silly it's stupid but it's again <laughs> it's like super bad for middle school kids mm-hmm. yeah yeah I would definitely compare bottoms to super bad Okay. Some real similarities. There. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I have a soft spot for coming of age films anyway. Mm-hmm. And if you can make a coming of age film that's funny and says something even remotely unique, I'm probably going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So if this does that, I'll, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Dude, thanks so much for sharing all this oh, shit with me, yeah, man. Sure, sure. You got I, I mean, am I, are we forgetting anything? If there's anything oh, brilliant, well, we can I hit mean, it. Killers of the Flower Moon is fantastic. Um, Joyride, another uh, Joyride. comedy. Um, this uh, with um, an Asian cast, Asian women. Oh, uh, a little bit raunchy too. Okay, so if you kind of dig that I, style of humor, it's I don't mind fun. it. I certainly don't. Uh, I'm not going to run away from mm-hmm. it for sure. Yep. Yeah, um, you liked Killers of the Flower Moon. I did. This is a good yeah. place. This is a good place to wrap it all together. So it's it's books and film together. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was. Did you read the book? I haven't read the book. Okay, I should read the book. Okay. I, uh, I love the book. I love David Gran. I think David Gran's really good. Um, I thought Lost City of Z was, oof, so good. Mm. Love that book. Okay. Um, and the film's pretty good. Um, my concern with Killers of the Flower Moon is it's really long. Yeah, it is. And I, from the trailer, worry that perhaps he is expanding angles that aren't necessarily accurate. I don't okay. know. Um, I haven't heard anything as to whether or not it, 
it holds to the book or not. Um, as a film experience, what? How did you react to it? Um, I thought it was very powerful. Um, I liked that Scorsese dealt pretty directly with him being a white filmmaker. He does deal with that. He does deal with it in a way that is, I think, very original. Okay. Um, that I didn't expect. And oh, wow. I don't want to give any spoilers, but I, th- he's very self-aware. He knows okay. that he's not native. And, and he knows I that the white guys in this story question- are not the good guys. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's not... I, I, I didn't think of it as being portraying the native people as as like um well obviously they're victims but not like i think he portrays the strength of the of them um they're victims without uh weakness exactly yeah, exactly yeah that's a good way to describe um, it yeah he's an amazing filmmaker mm-hmm. right i mean I get that he's a brand and that we all think he does a specific kind of thing. And he kind of does to a certain extent. But I can also see how the guy who made Gangs of New York could make this picture. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. there's a there are a lot of, like, tribal similarities. Now, I did not mean to use that word, but it is effective here. Yeah. Um, and I mean that both in terms of, of the secular world and the native world. Um how is Lily Gladstone? Because anytime I've ever seen her in anything, she's superb, and I can't wait to watch her in oh, this. Oh, she's so great. I hope she wins an Academy Award for this. I do, too. I um, loved her in Reservation Dogs. She has a you know small role in that yeah. film, but or in that television series. But um, she's so good, so natural, so funny. Uh, she is not terrific in a film called Certain Women. Okay, haven't seen that. So this is a filmmaker who I love. Her name's Kelly Reichardt. Mm-hmm. And she's made a bunch of films over the last 20 or 25 years. And um, this is a film based on three stories that were written by... Um, I'm going to blank on her first name. It's... Um, I think her name is Maeve Malloy. She is the sister of Colin Malloy from The Decemberists. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, it is the story of... It is three different stories that take place in these Montana towns, kind of where she grew up. And one of them is Kristen Stewart plays a woman who teaches a night class at a local high school, and she has to drive like two hours to get to this gig. And Lily Gladstone is this farmer who comes in and takes this class, and they have this really interesting relationship. It's really good. Yeah. Um, And the other, the other stars in the other two, sort of vignettes are Michelle Williams and Laura Dern so it's pretty good talent oh okay yeah it's right. a really it's a terrific film um but yeah I I uh as soon as I can rent it and it's not 1999 <laughs> I'll uh, I'll be sure to get my my Killers of the Flower Moon on for sure Mark thanks okay, so much for doing deal. this man this was really fun thank you it was great being here thanks for having me yeah man thanks for being in the shadio yeah absolutely goes 
My friend, now yours, Mark Neese, with his favorite books of 2023. I hope you dug that conversation. Uh, I know I did. I need to get caught up on my reading. I need to do so many things. Uh, I'm really excited about my Central American trip. I'm really excited about all the stuff going on here at the blog. I'm really excited that you're here. I'm absolutely stoked that we have hit 500 subscribers. I can't believe this. Thank you. Thank you again. Uh, it's just amazing. Make sure you're staying, uh, staying, paying attention to the blog. Uh, what am I making? Substack.com. Make sure you go over there and sign up for a paid subscription for as little as $5 a month. Don't forget to leave me a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash what am I making? And uh, make sure that you like, rate, and review this pod wherever you find it. In the meantime, you can catch me on the blog. I'll have new stuff coming up every single day, of course, without a paywall. And until then, my friends, be well, and I'll see you again here in just a few days back on the podcast. I love you. Bye-bye. Another servant of that medicine and his ADHD, baby. <laughs>